0: some point, I don't know when, the wonder of grace, I kind of lost it, and it hadn't been until recently that I've picked back up on how amazing grace is, and I don't know if it's I just talk about it all the time, or read about it, or memorize verses, but it kind of just became something that we tell people, and I talk about, but um, I really want us to leave here with trying to grasp the wonder behind grace, and I'll just tell a quick story about Eli, he was eight months old, and when it was warm, not now because it's cold, but when I left, Heidi would take him outside and they'd wave goodbye, and I was like, yeah, hey, bye. Uh, but this one morning, the flowers were dying, which is not uncommon in the Austin family tree. Uh, we're not good at keeping plants alive. Well, I was like, I'll turn on the, the uh, sprinklers and give them a good water, and when they came on, Eli's eyes just got big, and he's like, what is this? I've never seen this. And so I held them down, by the water and he put his hand in it and he's just like moving his hand in and out of it and his eyes are just like and he could feel it and touch it but he couldn't grab it and he had this sense of wonder and I was like Eli, it's just water buddy you'll get used to it (laughs) like the world's covered in it and at some point I probably had the same sense of wonder about water that he had but I grew up and I learned in school that it's H2O and you can freeze it and you can Make it into a gas, and water lost its sense of wonder because I could just explain it. And that's kind of what happened with grace, is that it, I kind of lost the wonder because I could tell you all about it. It's unmerited favor, it's getting what you don't deserve. And that's all true, and we need to know that, and we need to defend it when we leave here, but we also don't want to miss the wonder behind grace. And so let's get an outline. As so we saw, or as I mentioned, verse 11, salvation by grace. And then we're going to see how grace motivates the Christian life. And then from there we're going to see how grace motivates our future perspective and then how grace motivates good works. And so our first point is grace, or sa- salvation by grace. So let's look at verse 11. For the grace of God appeared bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God appeared. While the world was in its filth, the grace of God appeared. While mankind stumbled around aimlessly in the dark, the grace of God appeared. And while we were still sinners, the grace of God appeared. And the word appeared in Greek is epiphany, which sounds just like our word in English, epiphany. And it's the exact same thing. When someone has an epiphany, what's happening? They're in the dark about something. They can't figure something out. And all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on, and they have that aha moment. Like, aha, because light has been shed on whatever they're trying to figure out. It's the same thing. When the grace of God appeared, it was like, aha, that's grace. We've heard about it. We've been taught it. But that right there is grace. And John, in his first, or in his gospel, in his first chapter, he writes about the appearing of grace in the person of Jesus he says, There is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man, and that light was the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, meaning grace was just overflowing out of this guy. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were received through Jesus. So when the grace of God appeared, it appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come into the world to just check on things, say, how y'all doing? Is all thing all right? He didn't come into the world to condemn sinners to hell. He came into the world so that the world might be saved through him. This so is John 3.17, right after John 3.16. You know, it says that the grace of God appeared bringing salvation to all men. And uh, we need to stop here for just a moment because I get kind of hung up because it says all men. And when I read this, I I think all good and decent men and women who just don't know Jesus. I think of my neighbors who are not believers, but they're really good people, a great family. The grace of God appeared bringing salvation to them. I don't think about ISIS when I read this verse. I don't think about murderers. I don't think about rapists. I don't think about the world's worst men and women. I don't think about those who commit the most indecent horrific acts of crime against our most helpless. I don't think about those people. But if we really want to be struck by the wonder of grace, we can't overlook the fact that God loves all men and women. There's no prejudice when it comes to God's grace. There's no conditions. He loves all men and women. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in him might not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that's all mankind. So that whoever whoever would believe in him, they would not perish but have eternal life. It's not whoever gets their act together, it's not whoever behaves, it's not whoever can get their life and all pretty for Jesus so he can save them. It's whoever would come to Jesus would be given the free gift of eternal life. There's no prejudice. There's no getting right to get saved. It's just whoever believes. Uh, And I don't understand that. I mean, here's another example of losing the wonder. Like this verse is the number one quoted verse, but what is it saying? God still loved the world. Uh... I'm a new dad, and I'll tell you this, I'm not giving Eli up for anyone. I don't care how good you are. If anyone comes at him, wanting to hurt one little hair on his head, I'm coming at you with everything I got. And that's what I don't grasp about the Father's love for us, is that he gave his one and only Son. I mean, that kind of, that's amazing. And that's the wonder behind grace. I, I wrote something once, I thought God was crazy because when I first saw Eli, I was like, I would never give him up. But that's grace. He willingly gave him over for us. And again, if we want to leave here being struck or caught up in the wonder about God's grace, we have to realize that we can't bring in prejudice or conditions. And I do this. I don't even mean to do it, but I realize that I kind of diminish God's grace because I start thinking about myself like I'm really good. Like, well, I went to seminary. I know Greek. I can memorize Bible verses really well. Or, you know, I work in a church, people, you know. <laughs> but what am I saying every time? I, I, I. And after a while, slowly in the back of my mind, this horrific lie seeps in that I'm somewhat savable. i done something to merit God's love. And the truth is, I haven't. And no one here has. His, his grace is completely untouched by our works or our merits. And the truth is, we're not really good people. We're really sinners. And we really need God's grace. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us, like sheep, have gone our own way. Our righteous deeds aren't enough to merit God's grace. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Romans 11.6 says, If it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. When we start making it about us, grace ceases to be grace. Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so one thing we need to realize, now this is my first point. I don't know if it's already up there. Yeah, it is. If I had a handout for you, this would be the first thing I'd be like, write down, fill in this blank. Grace isn't about you, and it's not about me. It's not about your good works or even your bad works. It's not about my good works or even my bad works. The first thing we need to understand about grace is it's not about us. So let's look at how grace is a great motivator for the Christian life. Look at verse 12. Grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously, and godly in the present age. Grace instructs us. It trains us. It teaches us. And if anyone here has ever had a good teacher or a good trainer, like in the gym or whatever, I guarantee you they were a good motivator. Good teachers are always good motivators, and grace is the greatest motivator there is. Grace motivates us to live the Christian life in the present age. And there's a negative and positive to this. The negative is to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And so ungodliness, what's that? Well, it just plain and simple means without God. And when we hear about ungodly people, we think the the really bad people that don't go to church. But it's actually really any one of us. It's really easy to be ungodly. I do it just about every day. When I try to take control of a situation with myself, I'm saying, I don't need you, God. I'm being without God. I'm being ungodly. When um, I'm trying to do things in my own power, I'm saying, I don't need you, God. I'm being ungodly. And so, it's real easy to be ungodly. You don't have to be someone who doesn't go to church. It can be any one of us when we're just trying to do things in our own power. Uh, It's We can do all things through him who strengthens us, not we can do all things. The second thing is worldly desires, and it is sinful desires, sinful lusts. I don't really need to talk about that because we all are probably probably pretty well acquainted with our sinful lusts. But this can also be things that the world props up and says, chase after this. This is what you value. And it might not even be anything bad at all, but what happens is we get derailed as Christians. We get off track, because we're chasing after things that don't have any eternal significance whatsoever. We're chasing after riches. We're chasing after the big house, the shiny car, status in the community. None of those things are bad. But when we make it all about those things, when we make it about us and not using those things for God's glory, then we miss it. And so he says, deny these things. And then we're going to see the positive. The positive, I think, if we just focus on the positive, the negative takes care of itself. And the first thing is to live sensibly. And sensibly, it just means sound-minded. It means thinking correctly. Thinking rightly is all it means. And so we want to be people who think correctly about God and His Word and how we are to live and what, what we put into our minds. The next thing is righteously. This is how we live outwardly. And so what you put in your mind comes out how you think, what you think about. Those are the things that will affect your actions and how you uh, live towards other people. And then the last one is godly. That is the opposite of ungodly, which is with God. Having a God-centric life. Including God in all the things you're doing. Making decisions about what you're going to do after college. Uh, Do I stay at this job or not? How do I treat my family? All these things... It goes back to, is God the sinner? And an easy way to remember this this is inward, outward, upward. So inward is how you think, sensibly. Outward is righteously, how you act towards others. And then upward is godly. So inward, outward, upward. And you might say, Eric, you know, I don't always live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And I'd say, that's okay, I don't either. (laughs) But grace is still grace. And grace isn't about us, whether we're living sensibly, righteously, or godly or not. We could be living ungodly. We could be chasing after worldly desires, but grace is still grace because grace isn't about us. And this is why I think it's the greatest motivator, because we get caught up in thinking, well, I'm not good enough. But it's not about your goodness. It's about his love and his grace. So again, grace isn't about us. It's not about our good works or our bad works. But not only does it motivate our present life, it motivates our future perspective. It says, Looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. It says, Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He saved us by grace and he will save us again by grace. He's going to save us from the falling out of the tribulation. We won't be here for that. But he's also going to save us from this present evil world. Galatians 1, 3-4 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us so that he might rescue us from the present evil world. And this is where I tell a story, because usually I'm with the youth, and I can see them getting tired. So I'm going to tell a quick story. <laughs> Not long after Eli was born, we had our friends Daniel Kier and Merrick Mulder over. And it's kind of late at night, and Eli's just a tiny little guy. And I got him in the football hold, you know, sitting on the couch with him. He's sleeping, and Heidi's on my left, and she's got her feet angled at me. And she's at the end of the couch. Daniel's somewhere over here on the right. And Kira's holding Merrick. And she's sitting directly in front of me on the floor. I can't see the door directly behind me but she has a straight shot at it. And we're there. It's kind of late. We're just hanging out. And all of a sudden this violent, loud burst. The door comes flying open. And I see Kira's face is like, ah, shock. And I hear Heidi yell. And I look at Heidi. I can't see who's behind me. And Heidi's got this look of horror and she yells and you can ask them, I'm not kidding you I did like this ninja spin move where I turned, gently handed Eli to Heidi and flipped over the back of the couch and I bum rushed the door and I've got like a million thoughts in my mind, I'm like I hope this guy's not really big <laughs> I hope he doesn't have a gun and then, so then I think just move fast and double leg him to the ground and Daniel's a big old boy he can, he can be your backup. So I'm running at the door, it's wide open, and I don't see anyone, so I'm thinking, they, they took off down the hallway, it's the only place they could have gone. So I go down the hallway, and no one's there. And I come back out into the living room, and they're all standing there like, "Whoo!" kind of laughing, because it had just been the wind that had flung the door open. And I felt kind of, kind of dumb. But this is how I feel a lot of the time when I watch the news or I hear people's tragic stories. I get mad and I want to bum rush the world and beat it up because I'm so tired of how bad it is. Uh, I want to take people's addictions and beat them up. I want, to, I want to give ISIS a little piece of their own medicine. I want to grab cancer by the throat and choke so hard that I wish it never reared its ugly, ugly head at anyone. But the thing is, I can't do any of that. I just can't. And on those days, I kind of look forward to the appearing of our great God and Savior. I kind of look forward to that grace that is to be brought to us at His appearing. And I know it's not easy. I know it's actually kind of difficult. I mean... When I was younger, I always thought, man, I really hope this rapture thing doesn't happen anytime soon, because I'd really like to get my license and drive a car. (laughs) And then I got older, I got my license, I could drive a car, and the wonder of driving a car left. And then I was like, man, I really hope this rapture thing doesn't happen anytime soon. I'd like to get married and have a family. But, you know, the older I've gotten, which is not old, I'm 30, which is the new 20, I've... (laughs) I've learned that this idea of a new and better world doesn't sound so bad after all. A world where all this madness is done away with. A world where the government actually is all about justice, righteousness, and peace. And a world where I get to experience the raw wonder of the king's grace face to face. And so... Grace motivates our future perspective because the day is coming when the king returns, when he brings us more grace. It's hard to believe. He bring, it actually says he's going to come back and give us even more grace. And sometimes I feel like a weirdo running at an empty door trying to fight the wind. But when he comes back, he's going to do all those things that I can't do. Because grace isn't about me. It's about him. Grace is not about us, our goodness, what we can do. Grace is about God. Transition. Whoops, I'm not supposed to read that because that's for me to tell you there's a transition coming. (laughs) We're talking about grace here. I can mess up all I want. (laughs) It's not about me. When we get a little taste of the wonder of God's grace. It motivates our future perspective. We want more of it. We want that day when he comes back. Suddenly driving a car is not as cool. Or having a family. Even though I love my family, this next world's going to be much better. So we've seen how grace motivates our present life, how it motivates our future perspective. Now we're going to see how grace motivates works. And it says, verse 14, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And the who is obviously Jesus in the previous verse, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. And he did it for two things, to redeem us and to purify us. So redeem. There's a couple or a few words that are written in the Greek that we translate as redeem we got agorazo, which simply means to buy. Uh, It comes from the word agora, which means market. So what do you do at the market? You go spend your husband's money. So ex agorazo is the same word you buy, but it has this uh, prefix X on it, and that means out in Greek. So you're buying out of the market. And so when you leave here today and you look up at the exit sign, you're going to feel really good because you're going to know that that EX is Greek and it means out. This is the way out. The word in our passage is uh, lutroo and it means to ransom. Jesus was the ransom. He was the payment that sets us free. Look what it says. He redeemed us or he set us free from every lawless deed. He set us free from all the lawless things that we've ever done. We're all lawbreakers, and our guilt warrants death, but he died for us to set us free from the penalty of our own lawlessness. So Jesus gave himself to set us free, but also to purify us. And the word purify means, it's katharos, and it means to make ritually acceptable. Uh, so all the utensils and things in the temple in the Old Testament, those things were purified for a purpose that they'd be used for God. And it's the same idea here. God gave himself for us to set us free from all the lawlessness, and then he cleans us up and makes us acceptable for him to use. And I don't know about you, but there's some days I don't feel very acceptable, especially to God. But the truth is we are all acceptable to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He gave himself for us to set us free and to purify us as a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And that's the thing here. Zealous for good works. And I wish I could say, okay, let's go be zealous for some good works. And then we all go out and do it. But I know that's not how it works. At least that's not how it works in my life. You can't just tell me to go do something and I'm going to do it. You can't say, Eric, go be zealous for good works. Zealous means like a fanatic some days I'm a little bit more fanatic about getting a nap, or I'm a little bit more fanatical about OSU sports than I am about being a fanatic for good works. But here's why I think grace is the ultimate motivator for good works. Look again at verse 14. Christ Jesus who gave himself for us. Christ Jesus who gave himself for us, and I'm, Something about Christ Jesus in verse 13 that we can't miss is that Paul point blank says Jesus Christ is God. Look, it says God and Savior. The way it's written in the Greek undeniably is saying Jesus is God and he is Savior. Same thing, is the same way it's written in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter does the same thing. He's saying he is God and he is Savior. The reason he can come back and do all those things through this world that I want to do that I can't. It's because he's God, not me. So he's God. Jesus Christ is God in verse 13. And what does he do in verse 14? He gave himself for us. God gives himself for us. He sets us free. He makes us acceptable so that we would do what? What? We would be a fanatic about doing good works. See, I'm not real motivated by threats. I'm not motivated by coercion. Did I say that right? Coercion. I'm not motivated uh, in any of those ways. I'm motivated more by love. And that's what grace does. God says, I gave it all. Now prepare some good works for you to walk in. And that's where we come in. We want to be people who don't abuse God's grace because, again, it's not about us. We want to be people who are grateful and we live like a fanatic for good works. He gave himself for us in our place. Hopefully, we'll live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age because we love him back. He will save us again. And when he does, he's going to bring us more grace. You thought we had enough grace? He's going to bring more, according to Peter. And none of this stuff that we've talked about today is even remotely possible if this one thing didn't happen, if God did not give himself. If God does not give himself, there is no living sensibly, rationally, godly in the present age. There's no future hope for you. There's no getting set free from your lawlessness. There's no being accepted by God, being made pure. There's nothing. We are in trouble. But God gave himself. God becomes man and gives himself in our spot. And that's why grace is not about us, not about you, not about me. It's all about God. Grace is all about God. Because God is the one who gives. He gives his son in our place. And when we get caught up in the wonder of all this, when it connects what grace is and we start living sensibly righteously, and godly in the present age, guess what happens? The grace of God appears in you and in me and it brings salvation to all men. Grace isn't about us, our good works or our bad works. It's all about God.